Now, we've talked a lot on the show recently about the male members of the treaty delegation party, people like Arthur Griffith, Michael Collins, Erskine Childers, Robert Barton, etc. Theirs are well-known names, but a lot less is known about the four women who accompanied them. Kathleen McKenna, Lily O'Brennan and Alice and Ellie Lyons were the plenipotentiary's secretaries. And we're going to hear now about these remarkable women and why they were chosen to partake in events that would change the course of Irish and British history. I'm joined by Liz Gillis, our researcher on the History Show and also South Dublin County Council historian in residence. Let's start, Liz, uh, with Lily O'Brennan. Tell us about her and her background. Yeah, so she was the oldest of the four women and her sister was married to Eamon Kant. Lily herself, she was a playwright and so on. But like, she's out in 1916. She fights in the Marble Lane Distillery. She's one of the 77 women that was arrested. So she's very much involved in a Republican movement from an early stage. She's in Clemenum Jail actually on the morning that her brother-in-law, Amy Kant, is executed. She's released hours after that happens. But then after the reorganisation, she's on the executive coming on. She sits on the Republican court. Um, she's very close to Erskine Childers. She actually becomes his private secretary. Jordan the treaty debate, she's his private secretary. So she's very much involved. Very experienced, as I said, and the oldest of the four women. Of course, Childers himself is secretary to the delegation. It's interesting to think of the secretary having a sec- having a secretary. <laughs> um, what about the sisters, uh, Alice and Ellie Lyons? What did they do prior to being chosen as secretary to the treaty delegates? Yeah, so Ellie and Alice. Ellie was the oldest of the two sisters. She's born in 1889 and Alice was born in 1893. Now, they're originally from Swords, but um, the family, they were running a boarding house in Dublin. And like a lot of women at the time, they trained, as typists Ellie was really good at her job she won a silver medal for shorthand their family through their father they have connections to the Republican movement their father's cousin was Frank Lawless who had been out in 1916 he's later elected to the Dáil his daughter Evelyn she actually worked as a typist for Collins but in August 1920 she resigned from that position to become a nun so Collins needs a replacement and Frank Lawless suggests one or other of his cousin's daughters, Ellie or Alice. Now, the two of them were stenographers and um, very accomplished and it was decided, well, take the two of them. So the two of them joined Collins and staff in the finance section and all of these women proved their coolness under pressure, like right from the start there in the thick of it. And there was raids, if you can imagine Dublin in 1920, especially the military are looking everywhere for Collins. There's raids being carried out in all the offices. And in one such raid at number 22, Mary Street, the military come in, they counted how many people were in the building, but Alice saw a chance to get out. So she coolly walks past the military, she throws on her hat and her coat, walks past them, but then the British officer realises there's one person missing. Alice had gotten out and got word to whoever for Collins not to come near the place. But then the word went around that it was Collins that had actually escaped <laughs> dressed as a woman. <laughs> Both Collins and De Valera, so are accused of having dressed as, as women during the War of Independence. And, and finally, somebody from my own neck of the woods, Kathleen McKenna. Who was she? Yeah, Kathleen was the youngest of the secretaries and um, she was from Oldcastle in County Meath and came from a very, very Republican family. Our grandfather was a Fenian, our father was in the Land League, but the family moved to England in 1916 and she had connections with Ireland, especially with Arthur Griffith because Griffith was actually a family friend. So she remembers him from when she was a child and she comes back to Ireland in 1919 on a holiday. 
And she makes contact with them in number six, Harcourt Street, which was the Sinn Féin offices and so on, meets with Griffith. But at that time, you have the propaganda war sort of taking shape. And they were looking for uh, typists. They were looking for people to help print the Irish bulletin, which was going to be the Republican news sheet to counter what was being reported in the media. So um, pretty much on the spot, she's told, here, you know, set this, you know, <laughs> see if you can put it together. This is like our interview and she's responsible for printing the first ever issue of the Irish Bulletin on the 11th of November. So um, what turned out to be a holiday or starts off as a holiday turns out to be this two and a half year journey of printing this bulletin in addition, was never stopped. She's printing it at night in our house. There's raids going on around the city and there's great descriptions in our witness statements of what it was like to be doing this at that time. So it's safe to say that they weren't just chosen for their shorthand speed, that they were chosen for their imperturbability as well. Oh, big time. These girls have proven they could actually act under pressure, remain cool under pressure, get the job done and also they were trusted by the delegates. You know, Arthur Griffith knows Cantley McCann, he knows her lineage. Collins, you know, on the recommendation of Frank Lawless, he knows what Evelyn is like. The Lions girls, they proved themselves. And Lily O'Brennan, she has that, um, you know, she's out since 1916. Mm. She's involved with propaganda. So they've earned their stars, so to speak. Who were the two other women who accompanied the delegation? Yeah, it was um, Mrs. Eamon Duggan and Mrs. Fionan Lynch. Now, although their husbands are there, um, they're not just there to accompany their husbands. These were four young women that were going to London. You know, you had to keep an eye on them. So they're actually, they're chaperones while they're there. <laughs> OK, we're going to hear now Kathleen McKenna's own words describing her preparations before going to London. This is from her memoir, A Dull Girl's Revolutionary Recollections. How could I get a wink of sleep that night, excited and happy as I was? How could I convince myself that it was really true and not a figment of my imagination that I had been chosen by the leader of the plenipotentiaries to accompany him to London as his personal secretary and, at the same time, to continue my duties as secretary to Desmond Fitzgerald? Had I packed everything I would need into my suitcase? Would the taxi call for me punctually to take me to Westland Row? Or would I reach Dunleary only just in time to see the mailboat sailing out of the harbour? Some of the recollections there of Kathleen McKenna. When the delegation arrived in London on the 8th of October, they got an extraordinary reception. And uh, Kathleen also describes this in her memoir, Liz. She does. And it's so vivid. Like, um, if you can imagine what had been heard and what they may have been expecting, you know, going to enemy territory. But, oh, there were crowds waiting at Euston Station for them when they arrive. And uh, as Kathleen says, it was no, an unforgettable welcome. But people are there singing the soldier song, they're waving tricolours. She says that the King and Queen had arrived at Euston Station about half an hour before. So the people that were there to welcome the King and Queen stayed on to welcome then the treaty delegation over. And there were so many people there when they got off the train. They're literally whisked off their feet to the cars. And then they're led by a piper's band. So slowly they're making their way through London until until they reach Hans Place. She describes it so vividly and was amazed by the reception that they got. 
Now, obviously, the press was out in force. Lots of photographs of the plenipotentiaries arriving during the negotiations. But there was quite a bit of press interest in in the women as well, wasn't there? There was. And we're very lucky that there's lots of photographs of the women. Now, you don't see the four of them together. So Lily, maybe because she's the older of the group, a bit more reserved. So you see Lily with the actual group, the pose group photographs of the delegation. But the really relaxed photographs are of Kathleen, Alice and Ellie. And the thing was that, again, Kathleen in her book, it's a great book, she talks about them being mobbed by the press. So the press are waiting for them. They're coming out of mass one day and they're making their way to Cadogan Gardens. And the press are waiting there, photographers, journalists. Next of all, there's even a cat that appears and they're saying, look, this cat represents the look of the Irish. Here's the cat. <laughs> and there's a photograph and they're there and they're looking at the cat and the cat then appears in a number of photographs. As Kathleen says, the cat became friendly to them. So it appears everywhere. But you have that interest, not just in the men, the politicians, but also who were their support and the girls make the newspapers. We've been talking to Dr. Dara Gannon uh, since this series started about the treaty negotiations, but he's also talked about the social side of the of the treaty negotiations. Was there a social side for these uh, young women or did their chaperones make sure <laughs> they went nowhere? No, and this they did have a social life. Granted, it was restricted, as in they hadn't got a lot of time for social, you know, events. But Arthur Griffith insisted that they do let their hair down. Now, the thing is, they're working seven days a week, so they had to take it in turns to get the Sunday off and they do their shopping and they go and get their hair done. Arthur Griffith would bring them to the theatre. So they saw, like, the Russian Ballet. They met, like, loads of people from the literary world, like Lord and Sani um, and George Bernard Shaw. So they're, they're meeting all of these people. There were dinners held that they went to. So they do manage to enjoy themselves. It's not party central all the time. Kathleen, her favourite pastime was to go to an underground rifle range, where she says she became quite an able markswoman. When Collins heard about this, he started to slag her and she got really upset, so much so that she started to cry. And then Collins becomes upset because he is after upsetting her. So to make up and apologise, he gives her a present of a tiny Webley revolver, something similar to what he would have given Erskine Childers. Right, OK. Um, now, it, Collins could be a bit of a lad. Um, he was known to be known to be quite boisterous. Did he behave himself while he was in London? Did the rest of the delegation, the male members of the delegation, behave themselves while they were in London? Not all the time. I suppose you have to think, and remember that Collins was um, quite young, but where you have the treaty delegation there, you also have Collins' support going over with him. So Liam Tobin, Tom Cullen, Emmett Dalton, all of these guys that he'd been operating with in Dublin during the War of Independence. And there's one event, they have a party in Hans Place um, that he'd organised for all sort of like the supporters of the delegation, the London Irish organisation. So it's a big do. And Kathleen again talks about it because they're there witnessing what's going on. Um, the menu, she actually has a thing in the menu, it's great. And um, just to read it out to you here, Miles, some amongst the courses were peace and publicity soup, economic cutlets, <laughs> minced ulster and roast beef of old England. Now, the desserts, the sweets were Gertie, Ellie, Alice, Kathleen and Lily and the chaperones were the cheese course. Um, <laughs> No, but then Collins arrives at this party and with him are Tobin and Cullen and Emma Dalton and all and of course you know they're lighting the mood and stuff and Collins starts to get boisterous so 
What started them throwing cushions at each other moves to them throwing food at each other and ends up with so them So there's throwing, a bread roll war, basically. Yeah, but then ultimately it ends with them throwing coal at each other. So they're taking coal out of the coal bucket and slinging it at each other <laughs> while this party's going on. OK, well, I suppose they have to let off some steam. Um, now, the treaty signed on the 6th of December, it leads to an infamous split. It leads to, to civil war. How did this affect the four women? They were obviously four very political women. Did they take different sides in the civil war? They did, just like the men, the women were split on the issue of the treaty. Um, now, Kathleen, Ellie and Alice all support the treaty. Um, Lily, she rejected it. You have Kathleen working for Pierce Beasley in the censor's office. Now, Arthur Griffith, he sort of loaned her to Pierce, but Kathleen was so good at her job, Arthur Griffith wants her back as his private secretary. And you have this tune and fro, and Pierce Beasley won't give her up, and Arthur Griffith has to say, I'm taking her, she's mine, basically. Alice and Ellie, they most likely would have worked with WT Cosgrave, very close to WT. Lily, she continues to work for Erskine Children's. Now, she's really active on the anti-treaty side. She's running the foreign chapter of the publicity department all the international propaganda. Um, she's arrested during the Civil War. She ends up in Mountjoy Jail, Kamenum Jail, the North Dublin Union. She takes part in like an attempt to escape out of the North Dublin Union and she's eventually released then in 1923. What did the four women do after the Civil War? What Tell me a little bit about the rest of their lives. Well, Lily O'Brennan, she wrote plays and short stories and she was a founding member of the Catholic Writers Guild. She wrote an account of the War of Independence entitled Leading a Dog's Life in Ireland. She never married and she died in 1948. She's buried out in Dean's Grange Cemetery. Kathleen McKenna, she married uh, Vittorio Napoli. He was a captain in the Italian Grenadier Guards in the 19, and they married in 1931. They had two children. Kathleen wrote so many articles and items for loads of different publications, Caption Annual, for newspapers. She even recorded two broadcasts for Radio Air and they were broadcast in 1952. So she's writing all over the place. She died in 1988. Ellie, she married uh, John Keevy in 1930. They didn't have any children. She died in 1973 and she's also buried in Dean's Grange Cemetery and tragically her husband only survived her by three months. She died in the April and he was dead three months later. Alice Lyons, uh, she went back to work as a civil servant. She never married and um, she died in 1974 and she's buried in Glasnevin. Fascinating stories. Thank you very much indeed for bringing those stories to us, Liz, um, and the, the part that these amazing women played in one of the most important moments in Irish history.